We are on a study in the book of Acts on Sunday morning, as I'm going to continue that. We'll be in the 11th chapter this morning, and we'll begin our reading in a few moments from the 9th verse. Our text this morning is a backward glance um, after the conversion of Saul. And of course, we have recently studied Peter's revelation that the gospel, that the Messiah's work on the cross would extend beyond just to the Jewish nation, but would be something that the whole world could partake in. And that was not something that was readily understood by the Jews or the disciples. And so, Saul is converted, becomes Paul. Peter receives revelation about the Gentiles. Of course, Cornelius was one of the first non-Jews to be saved, as well as the Ethiopian eunuch. But those salvations occurred in Samaria. So, we have the Gospel taken to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But today, we are about to see it springboarded into the Gentile world. We're going to see in the text a seismic event that ultimately brings God's love to the Western world, Western Europe. And of course, we are here today because of the events that transpired. This will be the birthplace of this into the Gentile world in Acts chapter 11. So, let me invite you to stay in this morning with that context in mind. You and I owe much to these unnamed and one man named Barnabas who made our salvation possible by their efforts. So, chapter 11, we'll begin our reading in verse 19. <clears throat> now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Thenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then tidings of these things, that is, the gospel going to the Grecians, came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And I, I, this phrase, it feels so understated in the way we might take it, but remember what these next words come from God Himself. For He was a good man. Man, what a, what a description for God to say of someone. God look at you and say, man, you're a good man. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Our Holy Father, I pray the next few moments as, Lord, we explore this text. And, Lord, it is our desire for You to illuminate its, Lord, its intent. And, of course, then to make application of our hearts. That, Lord, we would do that. That we would appropriate, Lord, this encouragement to our hearts so that we may display it in this world. And I'm going to ask for Your help with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank You so much for standing. 
our text goes back and rehearses events that we could say run parallel to the Damascus Road events, of course, Paul's conversion, and then time and years in Tarsus. What is rehearsed here also runs parallel to Philip's ministry and the way the Lord used him, uh, of course, in Samaria. From the seed of the gospel planted in the church at Jerusalem, God is now growing His kingdom in multiple directions. The gospel has grown exponentially. We went from hundreds to thousands to tens of thousands saved there. Even as Saul was persecuting the church, of course highlighted by the death of Stephen. God in His sovereignty, in His omniscience and omnipotence, used this horrific event and in, of course the scattering of the saints to accomplish His purposes. While you and I can't always see or understand tragedy in our lives and lives of others, I want to assure you and ask you to remember that our God rises above the circumstance of this world. Nothing is lost on Him and He can always turn ashes into something beautiful. As the Bible says, everything is beautiful in its time. And from the tapestry of negative events, maybe like you might see an cross stitch from the backside, it just looks horrific, but you turn the picture around time and there's something beautifully being painted there by the hand of God. Even from death, Stephen's comes life in Antioch. The story of Stephen's stoning is sad. And of course, it is a tragic event. However, this man's witness and testimony live on in Scripture. We might say his life was cut short, and certainly it was, but his speech, his sermon there, preached before the Pharisees, is literally recorded in the Word of God and abides forever and ever. And so many men and women have read that speech, found teaching from it, and of course, an inspiration and courage to stand for the Lord in difficult and trying times. His death becomes not only a springboard, but a source of inspiration. And of course, the gospel advanced from those scattered from that persecution to Gentile lands. When the believers in Jerusalem were scattered, they took the gospel with them. Now, I find that remarkable. We often, we just read and we make assumptions, but just think for a moment. These people are newly saved. And the first thing they recognize beyond, of course, the encouragement of one another is that serving Christ is not going to be easy. There's a cost associated with being a disciple of Christ. And all of a sudden they're being persecuted. And they see one of their own stone. It would have been easy to ask, is serving Christ worth it? If this is this difficult and this is the price to pay, I'm not sure I want any part of that. But that is not how they responded. Rather, with joy and purpose of heart, they not only scattered, but they take the gospel with them. They are indomitable in spirit. They will not be defeated. Those circumstances around them are negative. What's on the inside in their heart is positive. And so, with joy and intentionality, they, these people, they, that's literally what they are called, they in the text, take the gospel with them and began to preach, becoming individual evangelists for the sake of Christ. Just ordinary people. The text mentions with significance and purpose that these Jews saved by Christ went to places that had historic Jewish populations. And not just big populations, but populations that ran in the tens of thousands. 
Phenice was a city on the island of Crete, which lies in the Mediterranean. It would have been a gateway to Greece and the Western world. Cyprus, likewise, was an island nation between Greece and Turkey. It had a large Jewish and Gentile population, a large island of commerce, again, an inroad to a larger world. And then Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a center of education and religion. Many, many Roman roads came into Antioch, and many, many Roman roads went from Antioch. This city was um, in the Middle East, we might call it uh, then called Syria. Today, it would have been in the regions of Turkey. It was a prominent city where the seeds of the gospel from these scattered Christians was planted. Our text tells us that initially, those scattered there, these unnamed Jewish converts, began to share their faith with the other Jews. And that just makes sense. It'd be like us having the gospel that would go to our family and share the gospel, would go to our neighborhood. We would share it with those that were closest to us, and that's what they did. And for all they knew, they may or may not have known about Peter's revelation yet of the, of, of, uh, the gospel going to the Gentiles. But at some point, those who were in Antioch began to think, well, the work of Christ is atoning sacrifice it probably extends to those beyond the Jewish nation. And they didn't know that kind of instruction wasn't just there. Culturally, we may assume that, but they did not. But they began to preach and evangelize these Grecians. These are just Gentiles, pagan people. And surprisingly, they responded. Just, just as um, Cornelius did in the Ethiopian eunuch, these people uh, began to respond to the, the witness of these Jewish converts, and they were saved amazingly. They were open. And you know, there's just a truth there. Um, when you and I share the gospel, we, we may not always feel proficient and we have everything down perfect, but I'm telling you, when the hand of God is involved, even in the meagerest of our efforts, people can be saved. And, and we would have every reason to believe these are people who had no idea what the Messiah even meant. They would have not known Jehovah. These were concepts that had to be taught, and yet, still yet, there is something innately that, that's within us that knows that we are sinners in need of a grace that we cannot possess ourselves apart from God. And people responded. They responded. And the Bible says that many were turned to the Lord. And that was especially true in Antioch, where a church was being born out of the evangelistic fervor, again, of just ordinary people, not commissioned, just they had hearts of gratitude for being saved, and they wanted to share that with someone else. So like in spirit and deed were they to Christ that people began to call them Christ-like ones, Christians. No doubt a derogatory epitaph was the intention. Oh, you Christians. It was a negative, a disparaging word, but in time became a badge of honor to those who bore that title. And later church history tells us that people gladly and boldly embraced being called a Christian. I think there's a thought here that I don't have time today that merits our attention how do other people that we intersect with, how do they identify us? What do they call us? Does our love and grace and goodness and commitment identify us in other people's eyes as Christ-like, as Christians? 
It only means so much for us to call ourselves that. It's more important that others see that in us. But these people spoke and witnessed. And the positive reward in the text for their willingness to share their faith in 21 was this. And there's just so much here that the hand of the Lord was with them. I wonder how, how many days and months and years do we live without experiencing the hand of the Lord? You know, it's quite possible even as Christians, I know the Holy Spirit indwells us, but to be engaged in an endeavor that we, where we need the Lord and His hand comes along to assist. That we step out in faith and try something. That we take, you know, our, our, our meager efforts to share the gospel. And God says, there's someone who's trying. And He involves Himself in our efforts. And His hand comes in to assist and empowers what we're doing. Like David's stone that flung from a sea, uh, that sling, like God slapped it. And that's so minimum as it entered into, you know, Goliath's head. I think God's like that. We speak, we try, we, we just, you know, we, we, we try to get something out and all of a sudden God uses that in a, a miraculous way. It ought to be our heart's desire for the hand of the Lord to be involved in the things that we do. I think it's a wonderful thing. And while it may be lost on us as we read this text, it's just like a history. This was an extraordinary event. We literally owe our salvation today to these unnamed people, the they. The gospel here is leaping beyond the Jewish nation. For 4,000 years, the truth of God, of Yahweh, Jehovah, resided primarily in the confines of a small group of people called the Israelites. And here, after 4,000 years of human history, God's truth is expanding beyond the borders of Jerusalem. Beyond the region of Canaan, beyond the regions of Judea, it's gone to Samaria and now to the, it's being launched to the uttermost parts of the world, the world that you and I live in today. It's extraordinary. In its own time, it was newsworthy and noteworthy. The events of Antioch found their way to the disciples' ears in Jerusalem. And this is news to them. Now, they had some time to process Cornelius and the Ethiopian eunuch, but now ordinary people sharing their faith with other ordinary people, and they're turning to the Lord. That, that, that captured the minds and the imagination of the church in Jerusalem. And they wanted to know if this was really true, if this was happening. To verify, in fact, that the gospel had been received by the Greeks. And in, a, in an effort, no doubt, to encourage them doctrinally, a man was chosen to verify the event. <laughs> and Barnabas was chosen, of course. One of the most understated heroes of our faith. Barnabas was chosen to travel to Antioch, uh, Antioch to confirm the story and no doubt to edify and instruct these new believers. Barnabas. As we've already learned, Barnabas was an extraordinarily good man. From the beginning of his involvement in the church of Jerusalem, a man from Cyprus himself, a Hellenistic Jew, he began to devote his life to encouraging people. No formal title. He was an apostle. You know, he had no, um, became a deacon in time, but he was already one because he was acting like one. And this man begins to use his own resources. I'm talking about the resource of his own life and the resources that he had. He sold some land to be a help to the poor people in the church, for the widows who were in need. He began to divest of his substance so other people could be blessed. He was an encourager. 
Barnabas was the first person to receive the Apostle Paul. At this time, the world would have known him as Saul the persecutor, the man responsible for the death of Christians. And understandably so, the the disciples and all the Christians in Jerusalem were terrified of Saul. Yet, Barnabas was the kind of man who understood the grace of God. And if it could change his heart, it could probably change someone like even Saul. And of course it did. And he believed in this man. He witnessed the transformation of life. And he was the first man to receive him and to encourage him. Hey, come back with me to meet the disciples. It was Barnabas who introduced this man whose name we take for granted to the early uh, leaders of, our, of the Christian movement. And we find him once again being an encourager to Paul, doing what he does best, giving life and speaking life and strength into the heart of another person. Encouragement. E-N intercora heart, giving strength to the heart of another. I think there is such incredible instruction here in this example Barnabas, when he arrives and witnesses the grace of God bestowed upon the Greeks in Antioch, I love this, he was happy about it. You know, he, he was just glad when he saw the grace of God work. I think today, so often in the Christian circles, people can be competitive. You know, they, they, they can be envious. There's a thousand other things. But to see the work of God and be glad about it is an amazing, inspiring thing. He saw the good. In his first order of business when he got there, now, you got to think about it. These are pagan people converted. <laughs> these are not cleaned up Sunday morning attenders. These people had to be a mess. <laughs> you know, didn't dress right, didn't look right, didn't have all, you know, everything, uh, T's crossed, I's dotted. The first thing he does is he looks at them and says, you've been saved. And he, he was glad. He smiled at them and he began to encourage them. He just didn't man, you found the Lord good for you. Man, I'm so excited about it. Hey, let me, let me offer these verses of instruction. You just serve Him. You just stay with Him with a whole heart. You just devote yourself to this Savior who saved you. Hey, in time, doctrine will be made right. Things can be corrected. Things can be cleaned up. But more importantly, you just serve the Lord. Man, that is so contrary to the way so many people walk into the Christian world. We're envious and mean and unkind and divisive. Our expectations are a thousand upon people other than encouraging them. And for this work, and this work specifically of being an encourager, God says he's a good man. And Barnabas, you're just good. You're just good. And I'm going to come back to this in a minute. But the ministry of encouragement is far more important than we would credit for being Barnabas seen the need of so many in Antioch because the Bible says a great number came to the Lord. And more came to the Lord because of his encouragement. Seeing the need was so great, he needed help and he knew he needed help. And I think I find this fascinating. He, he didn't go back to Jerusalem to recruit help. He was thinking, I know a guy. You, you guys all know a guy who knows a guy? And Barnabas was like, I know a guy. And man, I, I saw great potential in a man who's been somewhat forgotten. He's probably been in Tarsus. He could be in Tarsus up to 10 years at this point. His name was Saul. And that's where he goes. He goes and finds this man. I assume Paul was ministering there. He goes to Tarsus. He gets Paul. Hey, guy. Hey, uh, remember we were buddies. I want you to come back with me to this place where a lot of people are being saved. You, you could be a help to them. 
what, what you know they need. And so together they go back in this dynamic duo, Barnabas and Paul, for one year's time devote themselves to teaching and instructing this developing massive church in Antioch. Uh, we, we speak much of the church in Jerusalem, but it was from Antioch that Paul's three missionary journeys were launched. It was really, in a way, from Antioch that the entire Western world heard the gospel. They ministered the people, and then those people stewarded what he gave them, and they in turn supported Paul and became a witness to the entire world. Barnabas was, in fact, an encourager to many. He believed in Paul. Together, this team established this church, taught the people. And um, there's such instruction there. And so, as I, I consider this text, I think the obvious intent of the, of, the, of the Scripture is to give us the history, the springboarding, the gospel beyond the borders of Judea, even beyond the borders of Samaria, this text in specific is about the gospel being taken by ordinary believers, confirmed by Barnabas to the Greek world, to those people like us. But here's the way I want us to look at the text. I want us to focus on the people who made it happen. Now, God was behind it. God was the orchestrator. God understood that from the stone to Stephen, people would be scattered. And the gospel will be taken. But I want us to consider the kind of people. The people behind the mechanics, behind the orchestration of God, who took the gospel to other people. And the first person I want us to look at is in verse 19. Where the Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. I, there's a line that... Everyone in this room who's saved today could draw between your salvation and the stoning of Stephen. Does that make sense? We, there's a line that we can draw. We could go back and name person, 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 person. But at some point, most likely, I'm sure there's some divergent lines. You and I are going to have heard the gospel from a line that goes back to someone who is scattered from the stoning of Stephen to, a, to another place where the gospel was shared, where the gospel was shared, and the gospel was shared, and it came to you. Stephen. In a very literal way, Stephen gave his life so that other people could live spiritually. He simply did this by being true to Christ. For people who are true to Christ can make a difference in the lives of others. This was the very thing Barnabas was encouraging the new believers in Antioch to do. Hey, you just be true to Christ. You just serve Him with a whole heart. There's a truth and reality that our greatest witness may not come as a result of what we say, but how we live and die. Scripture gives considerable space to Stephen. And he holds his life and testimony up as an example. He didn't have a long life, but boy, did he have a deep one. So deep that it captured the Pharisees' attention, and it captured Saul's attention, but most importantly, it captured God's attention. He was a man who lived a life of integrity. A man who authentically lived out his Christian faith. I, I just, I think this... I think when we live with integrity, 
with courage, authenticity. I think when God is involved in that, people's lives will be changed. People can't help but notice. From this man who just simply had a limited testimony in a way, the fans, of the flames of the gospel were fanned to regions all around the world. But Stephen's death and all that arose from it may have never happened if he had lived with lesser conviction. If he had compromised in a moment of great trial, I, 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 I'll live for Christ, but I'm not sure about dying for him. Much would have been lost minus a man living for the Lord with all of his heart. I think in ways we will never know or appreciate, God uses the way we live, our daily testimony, our authenticity, uh, authenticity our lack of duplicity, our commitment to Christ to, to change. I think all of us ought to live in such a way that other people are asking us for a reason of the hope that's within us. And that's often demonstrated on the stage of tragedy. It's, it's there it, sometimes in our greatest moments of challenge that the spotlight falls on us. And the world's even looking. And when we behave with courage and bravery, with forgiveness and grace, when they see resolve and strength, when love overcomes bitterness, when it displaces hate, when confidence surplants griping, I think people notice. You want to make a difference in this world for the sake of the gospel? Be that kind of person. Live authentically for Christ. And then secondly, and obviously the text, the kind of people who made this happen were people like Barnabas. I've mused, I've already stated this, all week over verse 24. He was a good man. The word good in the Greek, agnathos, means intrinsically good. Okay, meaning this. He was good out here because the heart was good in here. And where did the good in here come from? It came from God. And Barnabas was just the conduit of that goodness and grace. He appreciated what God had done for him so much he couldn't help but share with other people. So he was intrinsically good. He was agnathos good. He was... He, he was like, man, God, you've been so good to me. How can I not from this full cup take it and share with other people and be good to them? He was full of the Holy Ghost and faith. Grace, goodness, and love came from Barnabas because that was what was inside his heart. But it was primarily expressed in this trait of encouragement. And I, I really want us to do business with this today. Encouragement. One person giving from their heart even at a cost sometimes, strength to another. From my heart to yours, find strength. If nothing else is said of us when we die, if it could be sincerely said, they were good. I mean, that's, that's good enough for me right there. Engrave it in stone. He was a good man. There was a source outside of himself that came to him that he was not inhibited to share with other people. I don't know there could be higher praise. Paul says something really fascinating. I, I believe it's in Romans chapter 5. 
around verse 7. This is going to be a paraphrase. He said like this. He says, none will die for a righteous man, but for a good man, some might. I want you to think about that. I don't think he's exalting goodness and kindness above righteousness. He's just saying what inspires in people is different. What inspires in other people, it's different. I, I, I can try to live as righteous as I can this way. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if I'm not good in this way, I'm probably not going to touch very many people's hearts. Hey, there, someone may die for someone like Barnabas. You might inspire me enough to give my life for, for what you died, for what you lived for. Goodness to people has a way of sinking into their heart, doing something for them that just righteousness, being right alone cannot accomplish. It motivates people. What goodness and encouragement does in the heart of another people is life-changing. Listen to me, it's life-changing. When you see good in other people, and you, you try to water that and grow it, you encourage your people in life's past, you are giving them a gift. When you take from your cup and fill in other words, we help people. Gosh, it's so easy to be decisive and divisive. To look at people and go, look at them. To be critical, to exclude, include people based on merit or lack of it. We break fellowship. I don't measure up. We focus on their failures, not what could be. And we're all susceptible to that. Paul was guilty of this. John Mark failed. He abandoned Paul. Paul wrote him off. But guess who saw good in him? <laughs> Barnabas. You know, encouragement has grace enough for the failures of people. And so Barnabas goes, finds his, his nephew, finds John Mark. Hey, man, I know this happened in your life, but I, you love the Lord, right? I do. You can do this. I can. And he did. So much so that one day Paul had to correct himself. I was wrong, but you were right about him. You know, sometimes when we believe in other people, in time they'll believe in themselves. You have the power to speak life into people by simply being an encourager. You're going to be a Christian. You're going to be a good person. Find someone and help them. Encourage them. You're going to gift them something far more than you may know in the moment. When you and I see that God's grace can transform someone, we promote that, water that, say that. We are empowering people to become and do that. And we should take that seriously. Too much of Christian life is lived in critique and criticism, cynicism, and griping and complaining about other people. Every kid over here needs encouragement. Our children, your grandchildren, desperately need encouragement. I've watched enough criticism drive people away from the church. Not a very effective tool. Righteousness alone is not enough. I'm not diminishing it. I'm just saying it deserves a companion. Failed people around you need encouragement. 
Brand new Christians need encouragement. Young couples, new parents <laughs> need encouragement. Older people need encouragement. People in the few, pastors. It's just we all have that need. We're on a journey, and life can deplete the heart. So if you take time and add, add something to it, it's okay. It's a good thing. And we should be involved in that ministry intentionally. And then thirdly, there's another group of people who make this possible. It's the they in verse 19. <laughs> the people used the most to change the world, to bring the gospel to us. The people upon whom the, the church is built upon is a they. The unnamed, ordinary, non-extraordinary, not ultra-gifted, unacclaimed, unrecognized people of God make the difference. The man whose heart was changed by God in such a way, he can't help but share that with other people, even if no one else is paying attention. We tend to think of people in the spotlight, the people in the pulpit, the people in the news as important. They may or may not be, but you can be. You absolutely can be if you simply encourage and try to be good and love other people. Significance doesn't need a platform. It just needs a willing heart. It requires a quiet, humble servant who will do the required work even when no one else notices. They took the gospel to Antioch. These scattered, hurting, ordinary people who loved Jesus so much that they shared it with other people who in turn were saved, their lives were changed. Let me encourage you today. You don't need any permission to go change the world. You already have what you need in the gospel. The way you live and what you say. The giving of your heart from another person can be all the difference for someone in the world. And if people don't recognize what you're doing, it's okay. Because God does see it. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward His name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. It's not lost on God. He's going to see it. So, a couple of encouragements here. Go change someone's life. Well, how am I going to do that? Be an encouragement. Authentically live for Christ. Go help someone. Go change the world. Go minister. Find someone on this Christian journey and just be an encouragement to them. Live authentically and be loyal. Encourage others to don't give up in life and to continue in Him. This past week, um, I was the beneficiary of encouragement. I had a they. I was invited on a very unique trip, but Daniel and I both were. There were people who financially gave of themselves and then of their time to invite people in the ministry like Daniel and I to come in to be a help. They lent strength to my heart. Now, you don't know these guys. Their names are Jeff and Stephen. Charlie and James, Curtis, Mike, 
Dewey, David and Gerald, MJ, Cade, Zach, and Mark. Those men gave a week and considerable time so then you and I could be encouraged. It's never lost on me that God dovetails these things for me for other people's sake. <laughs> Just never lost on me. And they helped me. Yeah, I was already a good place, but I don't mind some extra gas in the tank. And other people won't either. I'm so grateful for them and the gifts they gave me. A gift from their heart to mine. You can do that too. I, I want to I offer a challenge. And uh, it's so easy to come to a message and escape the task of doing business with it. So I, I'm going to move beyond that. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Will you purpose in your heart? Will you purpose in your heart in the coming week, this week, not just some week, this week, to find someone, anyone, and be an encouragement to them? I'm not telling you how. I'm not giving you a thousand words of application that you could do it. I'm just asking you, know, would you try? A kid, a parent, a relative. The Lord's already given me a name, a person. If you would be willing, if you would be willing to attempt to be that kind of good person, that you could go find someone and simply be an encouragement. If you would take that challenge, would you stand? And I want to ask all of us to stand, and would you bow your head with me?